Hey guys, this is Gary, and welcome to another episode of Pod Wars. On Pod Wars, we like to dissect Star Wars, Marvel, and our favorite little nuggets of geeky media. I'm here today with my podcast consigliere, Justice. What's up, guys? And we're excited to get back into some interviews here. Justice, it feels like it's been ages since we've been able to do interviews. We've been on a little bit of a kind of mini hiatus here. Yeah, I know. If you're a regular listener to Pod Wars and you hear that almost routine boring intro it's because we got this nice spicy interview coming up next so this is we're bringing back a friend of the pod chris leps you might remember him from our previous episode with him where we discussed his work on pirates of the caribbean chris is a stunt performer who worked previously with pirates of the caribbean as the double for Johnny Depp, as well as multiple other projects. Go back, listen to his interview. It's an awesome episode that we released a little while ago. Today, we're having him come back on, though, because he was just on The Mandalorian Season 2. And you know we're going to have to talk with him about that. So Chris got to do stunt performing in The Mandalorian in a bunch of episodes. Basically, anytime there's an awesome character, you know performance or or like main character and there's a stormtrooper involved he's basically getting his butt kicked so i really hope you guys enjoy listening to him tell these awesome stories from behind the scenes all right so chris you told us that you just actually saw solo for the first time recently how was your first viewing experience of that film (laughs) you know i have to say i liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And mm. it's funny because I, I, I didn't want to see it specifically because I had heard mixed reviews and I was a little bit Star Wars out. And um, what did it for me was I finally saw the Coen brothers film, Hail Caesar. Mm. And uh, Alden Aaron Reich played um, a character in that. Uh, what was his, what was his character's name in that Hobie? Um, uh, Hobie Doyle. And he was absolutely hilarious. And it was really the first thing I'd, I'd seen him in, and I knew that he had played, you know, young Han Solo. And I thought, okay, um, I'll give it a whirl. So my wife had already fallen asleep. It was late. <laughs> I, I fired up Disney Plus, and I and I watched it. And you know, again, not perfect. Yeah, and I can see why some of the negative reviews existed. But you know, by the same token, I thought that it was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought the casting was great. I mean, I th- you know, I'm a huge fan of of so many of those actors. I thought everyone did such a great job. Um, and you know, it's funny, uh, Woody Harrelson, it's, it's, I I have such a, it's so it's, it's such a challenge to watch him sometimes because I always see Woody Harrelson, but by the same token, he is so damn good in everything he does. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw three billboards. Mm -hmm. He was absolutely phenomenal in that film. And 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 in solo, he was absolutely brilliant. And I would not have taken him out of the out of that role. But but I always see Woody Harrelson. <laughs> so, you know, he's I mean, good for him. I mean, he's he's carved such a great niche for himself. And um, I thought he was I thought he was fantastic along with the rest of the cast. I thought they all did a really good job. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it was uh, it was a I'll say it was a it was a fun ride. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of really fun moments and uh and uh, you know uh, for the most part quite entertaining so there you go so would you uh subscribe to a make solo 2 happen well 
I mean, I'm sure it'll happen at some point, right? You know, if a film is successful, they're they're gonna run it into the ground. Um, but you know, it'd be fun to see all those all those you know characters come back. I thought Amelia Clark. I mean, I'm such an Amelia Clark fan. I thought she did a great job. Um, Donald Glover's brilliant. Uh, you know, so great to see Tandy Newton. You know, in the in, in the Star Wars universe. I mean, Paul Bettany is always fantastic, and whether he's a you know whether he's doing voiceover or acting, and I thought it was a really fun character for him. So. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows where they'll take it? I, you know, I think that it's funny because after our last podcast, <laughs> I, you guys, we had talked about um, uh, The Force Awakens. And a lot of my friends had listened to the podcast and I got texts and calls, you know, uh, over the following month after that. And they said, I, I thought you didn't like Force Awakens. And I said, I didn't. And they said, well, it sounded like you did. And I guess in my very long winded answer, I, I did a poor job of explaining so what I was trying to convey is that I thought they did what they could with Force Awakens. I thought that they played it relatively safe. I thought they gave, you know, the certain, you know, they gave the fans a little bit of what they wanted. They gave the stockholders a little bit they wanted. They gave, you know, the studio heads a little bit of what they wanted. And what I was trying to, to you know, convey was that something gets lost when films get this big, you know, because there are so many people to please and you just can't, you can't do it all. And so, um, you know, look, they all have those moments. They had, they had those, those, those great moments that we had discussed where you see the Falcon for the first time and you see Han and Chewie, you know, together again in the cockpit, all those things that the tug at the heartstrings were fantastic. Um, but I think that a lot of things get lost when films become this big and become this much of pop culture, because, you know, I think of so many of the smaller films that I love and that are such a part of not only my childhood, but also my filmmaking career. And I'm so glad that they existed on the level that they did, because if they were any bigger in budget or in scale, or if they had a, a massive following to appease, I don't know that they would have been the quality that they were. And so, um, you know, that's the challenge of, of filmmaking and that's the challenge of this industry, uh, you know, is is where the art and the business, you know, those lines get blurred. Um, so, you know, hey, but look, at the end of the day, it's entertainment. It's fun. Um, they're not going to stop, you know, making them. And I just hope that they I hope that they that story is always at the at the at the forefront of, you know, their endeavors and their motivation. I've um always said and i thought this is a cool idea um i was i was saying uh that there's a cool idea that um you know ron howard directed the first one it would be cool if they had bryce dallas howard direct the second one just because like a a redemption thing i think that'd be kind of cool well speaking to some of those trappings of kind of the immensity of the project uh We'd be remiss if we didn't dive into some Mandalorian stuff because it seems like, obviously, with your work here, and we mentioned in our beginning, you got a chance to do some stunt performing on The Mandalorian. And it seems like that show has managed to dodge all the trappings of just the immense pressure of Star Wars, Disney, and kind of the just difficulty in adding something new and creative to the franchise to make something wonderful for us. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's a great line. If you ever, uh, one of my favorite films uh, is a Peter O'Toole film titled Venus. And at the end of that film, he has a great line where he says, now we can really talk. <laughs> and so that's how I feel now because, <laughs> because when our last, with our last chat, you know, I, I, I had finished on Mandalorian, but I wasn't allowed to say anything. And of course I was, you know, 
you know, biting my tongue here and there. Um, but you know, it's funny because working on that show, I, you know, I have to tell you that it's even being a part of the stunt team, um, and being a part of the, the weekly, you know, crew, there was so much secrecy and, mm -hmm. um, I won't go into too much detail, but everything on that show has a code name. So I would get, I would get a call and they say, Hey, Chris, we need you to go into it for a fitting. And the, the, the name of the character or the stunt role would have a code name. So I would not know what I was going to get fit for. And so I would walk in and then, of course, I would see the Shore Trooper costume and go, oh, that's code name for Shore Trooper or, you know, whatever. So literally, I never knew what I was doing um, from one day to the next. And so what I was what I was what I was dying to tell you guys last time that obviously I couldn't was where. Luke fought the dark troopers. So I got to be one of the dark troopers, which was awesome. So, um, really fun story now that everything is aired and, uh, um, you know, I can, I can t talk about all this stuff. So, uh, I was actually playing a stormtrooper for another scene on another set. And so Ryan Watson, the stunt coordinator came up to us and said, Hey guys, um, we're going to keep four of you. Everyone else is wrapped. So Chris, Donald, uh, Trevor, and you know, so-and-so, um, you guys head back to your trailer get changed out of your blacks. That was what, that's what we call, you know, the, 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 um, the, uh, under the, the long underwear underneath the stormtrooper costume and get into your motion capture suits. And we were all just like, what motion capture suits? Because as you know, the dark troopers are tall. Like all, all the guys that were playing the dark troopers were like six, four and I'm five, nine and a half, you know? Yeah. So we're like, okay, uh, fine. So we get in our, our these motion, the mocap grays, and we go back to a different stage and we walk in and there's the dark trooper guys and there's us. And we're like, Oh, I, I guess we're going to, we're going to play some dark troopers. And so it was, it literally was in that moment where I understood what we were doing because there's the actor who's portraying Mark Hamill, um, who was in, you know, the Jedi blacks and, you know, he had his hair parted to the side and, and I was like, Holy crap. <laughs> That's, I was like, oh, damn, there's Scott. I was like, there's Luke right there. I was like, and so, you know, Ryan, you know, he comes up and says, okay, here, guys, here's going to happen. And they kept calling him the Jedi. They said, okay, the Jedi is going to come through the elevator. And, you know, here's the movie. Like you didn't you know, know who they were talking about. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, they're like, well, you know, it's funny, again, because there was all this speculation online, you know, when, when they were talking about, you know, there were only so many Jedi that could be, that could, fi could fulfill that role. And, um, you know, with the Ahsoka episode. And uh, so anyway, so we were like, oh, my God, we're going to fight Skywalker. So it, it was pretty amazing. So it was in that moment that, that that was revealed to us. And so that was very much my experience on that show. Um, you know, we didn't really know until on the day and sometimes moments before the scene started what we were going to be involved in. You know, um, I got to play one of the guards up on the wall for the Ahsoka scene where she's attacking the the city and I walk up to the set and there's Michael Bain. And I was just like, Oh my God, there's Michael Bain. And you know, I want immediately my mind was flooded with, I, I want to talk to him about Terminator one. I want to talk to him about tombstone. I want to talk to him about, you know, but of course you have to maintain professionalism and you say hello and you know, you do your thing. And um, so it was, it, it was a really, really fun ride. And finally addressing your question, I feel that the the, the magic formula to the Mandalorian in it does seem like they they really pleased um, practically the entire fan base. I think they walked that line very well. And I think 
what did it for them was the bite-sized nuggets of the episode running time because they were so tight and there's only so much content that you can address in, you know, whatever. Sometimes they were just over 30 minutes. Sometimes they were close to 45. And I personally didn't read the books, but I thought they did a great job at entertaining people who, who are not familiar with the book content, but also giving all those great Easter eggs of people that do know the books. Because after an episode, you know, I would turn to the internet and say, oh, you know, that was in reference to this and that was in reference to that. So it, it was great because I didn't feel excluded because I didn't know that information, but you know, I also didn't feel lost that I didn't know it. So it was, it was perfect. I thought they did a really good job with it. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I think like so many other things, they, you know, they have those little moments that are kind of fun and, 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 you know, they, you know, they obviously, you know, the popularity of the child and, uh, uh really, you know, they, they, you know, push that a lot, you know, to the extreme, but, um, all in all, I think they did a really good job. I think they were, they were really faithful to the characters, you know, it was so great to see, you know, Boba Fett back in action. It was so great to be, to see slave one fly again. And, uh, one of my favorite moments is that again, I didn't had no idea this was happening is when I was playing a shore trooper and we were chasing, uh, Mando and, uh, the Bill Burr character up, you know, to the rooftop and, you know, we come over the wall and we're, we're firing on them. And, you know, they fire and then we get shot from, you know, the, the, the snipers. And I had no idea on the day that slave one was going to be flying over my head as I was coming over the wall. Mm. So when the episode aired, I freaked out on the couch. My, my, my wife was like, what? my wife, Caitlin's like, what? And I'm like, this slave one just flew over my head. I had no idea that was going to be the case. So just stuff like that was really fun, you know, to see it come to life. And um, I got to work with Robert Rodriguez again. I actually worked on Sin City with Robert Rodriguez back in, back in the day. And so um, I got to work on his episode when we were out, uh, you know, out in the quarry area. And I went up to him and said, Hey, I said, Robert, Hey, it's Chris. I, you probably don't remember. I, I was, I, I did one, I did uh, the Mar, I was one of the police officers in the Mar fight on Sin City. He goes, Oh, Hey man, how are you? So it was really cool just to, you know, see him, you know, work in the star Wars universe and um, lots of so many great little nuggets along the way that, that I think that um, the fans really, really appreciated. And again, I thought it was done with reverence and respect. So um, yeah, I, so far so good. I mean, who knows about season three? We'll see. But, uh, you know, so far, it seems like they're doing a great job with it. Well, let's kind of dive into some of the scenes you're a part of. I mean, you were gracious enough to kind of give us a little bit of details on the things you contributed to. And when I was looking through there, I was essentially like, okay, any scene where there was major ass kicking, you were the one getting his ass kicked. Like, you got choked <laughs> up by Mando and the Juggernaut, Luke killing those Death Troopers, Ahsoka. You got to be in a lot of awesome fight scenes. Um, let's let's go over some of them here. So what, what were the real standout moments for these fight scenes you got to be a part of? Uh, well, again, I, nothing but love and respect and gratitude to Ryan Watson, who, um, you know, we're, lo we're lifelong friends. We've known each other since we were kids. And, you know, um, I think Ryan was, you know, Ryan ha wasn't playing favorites. He would just put people in spots. And I just, it really, a lot of times it was just luck that I got into the spots that I did. Um, but yeah, getting to be, getting to fight so many key characters was really fun. Um, you know, Latif Crowder, who, who doubles for Mando, is such a talented stuntman and stunt performer and um just so just gifted i mean just absolutely an incredible athlete so any it was fun because when he choked me out in that one scene that was the first time we really had 
that you know that sort of one-on-one interaction um i got to be one of the stormtroopers uh where i forget what episode it was but he was he was across that big it was that big uh, sort of lo- that sort of volcano uh and he was going to one of the control panels and I was a stormtrooper that emerged from across, across the gorge and fired at him. And I hit him right before he's getting ready to take off and he fires back at me and hits me. And then when he flies up through the top of the cavern, I'm the, I'm, I'm up at the top too. myself and Donald Mills. We're, we're the two, two stormtroopers that he shot there as well. But, but when he choked me out, I was like, how have we gone all season? And this is the first time where <laughs> we actually have this sort of you know intimate <laughs> fight, fight scene together. So that was really cool. And, um, and working with Rosario Dawson was great. We'd actually met on the set of um, Men in Black Two years ago. Um, mm. I was just I wasn't I wasn't even working on the film. I was just on set um, to meet with the stunt coordinator and just kind of drop my stuff off in the hopes of getting some work. And she was there, and we just ended up talking because she she was like, "Oh, are you on the stunt team?" I said, "No," but I was just I was just here visiting. So we just said hi really quick, and then I reminded her of that that exchange when we were when we were working together on Mandalorian. And she was like, oh, my gosh, that was years ago and, and all this stuff. But she was just awesome to work with. I mean, such, again, such a physical performer. I mean, really, I mean, she she had some rehearsal, but to see her kind of do brush ups, you know, the morning of before we started filming and how she was just so aware. I mean, you know, here she has to wield two lightsabers, which is not easy. I mean, it's hard enough to do one. Um, she was fantastic. You know, she was really great. And, you know, I have to say, you know, I think that there, I think that there obviously are far more stunt men that work on these shows than stunt women, but I have to give huge props to the stunt women who were a part of Mandalorian. Um, there were, I'll just say this, there are, there are more female stormtroopers than you would than you would guess. They are all awesome. Um, the the female stunt performers who who played the Mandalorian um, the the various Mandalorian characters were fantastic. It was really cool to work with Katie Sackoff again. I I worked on Twenty Four with Katie, and I reminded her of that in the hair and makeup trailer. And she was like, "Oh my God, how are you?" And she goes, "Are we fighting today?" I'm like, "Yeah, we will." So um, super super great. I mean, just just so it, it just the the these types of shows, um, you know, they they really do get the best of the best when it comes to to talent. Of course, everyone and their grandmother wants to work. You know, everyone in town wants to work on these shows. There are only so many spots. Um, you know, Ryan has such a, a difficult job of really finding the right people um, for the roles. And and a lot does have to do with body type and height. Obviously, you can't be too tall for a stormtrooper. <laughs> and like Princess Leia said, can't be too short for a stormtrooper. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> So it, <laughs> so uh, it's um, you know it the, the stunt casting is tough, but man, what what a talented group of men and women who who come together and and really you know make this stuff happen. And again, it's 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 a it's a really high level of professionalism. Everyone has has a lot of respect for the characters and the history. Um, but it was great. It was so fun to be a part of all these things. I mean, you know, to get to drive, you know, be a co-pilot on the Juggernaut. Um, that was you know that was incredible and you know to get you know with again again to work with all the guest directors and the producers and um man i tell you working in that volume is mind-blowing you know i i may have touched on this in our last podcast you know when lion when lion king came out you know a little part of my soul died because i thought oh you know there goes this is really the beginning of the end of practical filmmaking and you know there i have so much love and respect for you know, the location scouts and the production designers and the construction artists who build these sets and bring them to life. And I thought, 
you know, a part of that is dying. But I have to say, after stepping onto that volume and seeing how incredibly real it, it, it is, I mean, you guys, I would, there would be live action set pieces, obviously, and then you'd have the volume, you know, the LED screens. And I would literally have to walk within feet of where the volume ended and the set pieces began to really tell the difference. And I thought, you know what, this, this is not, this, this is not technology for technology's sake. This is actually an incredibly powerful tool. Um, you know, this, this type of virtual production. And I can see from a production standpoint, why it's incorporated. And the good, the good news is it actually, it still employs, you know, that level of artistry. You still have the set designers, you still have the technicians, um, so while, while it may, you know, it may cost a few, um, you know, jobs here and there from a production scouting standpoint, uh, I think it also, it, I think it also adds a number of jobs, um, on, you know, in, in column B. So, you know, again, it's the industry, it's going to be constantly evolving. I think the I think the challenge is to evolve with it. But for me as an audience member, I love that it wasn't technology for technology's sake. I thought it's, in, it's incredibly it's an incredibly powerful and and such an immersive tool that helps tell the story and makes the story that much you know that much more gives it that much more depth. I mean, to see that opening shot of you know the first episode of the first season where Mandalorians walking across across the snow, you think they went to Iceland, you know, you think you think they went to Greenland or the you know the art you know the Antarctic to to get that shot, and here they were in Manhattan Beach, you know, on the volume stage. I mean. You, you can't you can't tell the difference. It was fantastic. So that that in itself was a real treat to be a part of that. I'd just be so scared to like walk into something and or like walk into a wall. Like, oh, nope, that's that's the end of it. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. And of course, you know, there's an entire team of effects artists that are on stage with us that are running, you know, the volume and all the virtual cameras. And I mean, it's trippy. It's absolutely trippy. But such such an impressive um undertaking and and again just just highly effective i mean it's just it just it just looks so good do you remember what scene you're working on with the vine was that more the crate dragon one or which parts kind of were you working on in there no so actually we do have a back lot and um they they so much energy it goes into trying to keep that as secret as possible you know we have 30 foot high blue screens and then they build another you know, 20 feet of, of a barrier, so to speak, to try to keep, you know, photographers out to keep the paparazzi out. Um, and I'm all for that. You know, I think the secrecy is imperative. I love that Disney plus releases them, you know, a week, you know, they had, they space them out a week at a time so that you can't binge all eight. And then the spoilers, you know, or you know, run rampant on the internet. Um, so we do have a back lot and actually the crate dragon stuff was all in the back lot. So that's what, that's, what's really cool is that, we did a lot of exterior stuff on the back lot, but it's a perfect blend between the back lot and the volume stage. I mean, you really, you really can't tell the difference a lot of the times. But yeah, Crate Dragon w was was. Um, I mean, I say practical. It was in the back lot, but no, the Juggernaut scene driving through the tunnel that was on the volume. Mm. Um, and all this is and all this is on the behind the scenes stuff. If you if you jump on Disney Plus and and see this for the, for the first season, they did. Um, a series, the the, um, the the behind the scenes series, and then for season two, they just they they compress it all into one uh, special um, special episode. So you can see all of this there. But um, 
Yeah. So, uh, gosh, I mean, obviously all the ships, I shouldn't say all, most of the ship work when you, when you see outside the windows, that's all in the volume. It was funny. We were on the bridge of this, uh, of this, I guess it was a start, I guess it was a star destroyer and they were cycling through all of the, um, the scenes outside, you know, in space on the volume. And so one is just the stars and then one is, you know, whatever. And then they, then one was the jump to light speed. <laughs> and we all, we're all standing there. We look out and you see the light speed effect and we all go, Whoa. <laughs> So, so I mean, cool. and it's, and it's, you guys, it's so effective. I mean, you think, it, I mean, as a kid, I mean, it just, it brings out the little kid in you. You're like, we just, we just made the jump to light speed, you guys. I mean, it was just crazy. So, um, but it's cool. We also have a practical stage where all the sets are built where, you know, where there are no windows and we're just, you know, running through the halls and, you know, obviously a turn of the camera here or some different lighting there. And you can make those look like, you know, you never see the same hallway twice, whereas we're working on the same three every time. So again, it is so much, so much talent and so much artistry and um, love goes into these things. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating. But yeah, I would say I would say between the volume and the stages and the back lot, it was probably seven, 70 percent stages, 30 percent back lot. Um, we did all the pirates, all the pirate stuff. So the scene where they're driving the juggernaut and they're, they're, they're getting into the 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 um, the base uh, uh, the Imperial base where we were, do you know, we had our, um, skiff and we were attacking them there. That was all in the back lot. Um, which was, uh, which was a really, which was a lot of work went into that as well. That was a huge sequence. Did you have to jump into, onto the juggernaut or was that? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So I was, yeah. So I was one of the, when, when the, when the skiff approaches the back of the juggernaut and you saw the four guys jump, I was the fourth, fourth alien pirate that landed there. And, um, and again, going back to the fittings, like, I don't even remember what the code name for that character was, but I was like, what, what are we doing? And then we got there and they were throwing all these cause they want, they wanted us to look very, um, very eclectic. And, and, you know, there wasn't really, uh, they want us to look like we had gathered these pieces of our, of our wardrobe and our costumes over the years. And, you know, we we're scavengers. So, you know, we took a piece from, from this, you know, character, and we took a piece off of this ship and all these things. And so I thought, I thought the wardrobe and costuming department did such a great job with that stuff. But, you know, on the day, you've got to work with it practically. So we had a lot of dangly things that were hanging off us necklaces and, and really long, you know, wrist wristband type things. And so, um, you know, you have to work through all that stuff when, when you're holding weapons and jumping from ship to ship. And, um, you know, of course, it was hot, it was crazy hot out there. And we had these, you know, latex masks on and, um, but again, such a, such a fun process. Really, really cool to be a part of that stuff. I think it's a good time to throw this in. We asked our, uh, red five network, um, friends, if they had any questions for you, Chris. Um, and so they want to know, we're going to give a shout out to the forest losers cause, um, they're good friends of us. And he asked how rank was the helmet after a day of work of stunt work? <laughs> you know, again, I, I have nothing but love and respect for our, our costuming department. They took such good care of us. They really are among the best in the industry. Um, it was cool. We all had our own, our own helmets, our own costumes. Um, and they were cleaned every night. You know, it's, you know, when we, we got to go home and, you know, the, you know, those, the entire costuming department or, you know, a large part of them had to stay behind and that's, you know, that's part of their day. And they, they do, again, they, they did such a good job at disinfecting and deodorizing. And 
I have to say my helmet was always awesome and padded perfectly and uh, it was fantastic. So, you know, again, it's, it's, they're, they're the best in the industry. They, they, and, and again, so knowledgeable about all those costumes, but um, yeah, as far as, uh, as far as cleanliness and I imagine now, you know, with COVID even more so, I mean, those things are, you could eat out of those helmets. I mean, pour some soup in there and, and, (laughs) and there's your lunch because they're, they're so clean. It's amazing. Yeah, did you guys finish all of this stuff before COVID hit then? and Or was there still like some stunt work that needed to be done? Yeah, no, we got really lucky. So um, we wrapped uh, on March 7th, I believe, or March 6th. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, if you look at if you look at the science, COVID had probably already been here in the United States for a couple months, but just, you know, was sort of didn't really, you know, didn't really have a handle on it. It was it was you know, being chalked up to the regular flu or whatever. So, um, so yeah, we got lucky. We finished just in time. And, uh, and then right after that, everything shut down, which was crazy. So I was really glad that we got to finish. And then obviously it's disrupted season three. Um, as you know, I mean, I'm not saying anything that isn't on the internet. Uh, you know, book of Boba Fett has, has been filming. Um, and, and, I, I don't have any firsthand information um, as to when season three is coming back. I, I only I only know what I've seen on the internet. It sounds like, from what I understand, uh, you know, from the the things I've seen, Obi Wan is going to shoot first, um, and then Mando season three. Again, I, I'm just going off what I've seen on you know Hollywood Reporter and and things of that nature. Um, so it has been a little bit disruptive in, in regards to Mando coming back, but I think it may work out for the best because. They wanted to get Obi-Wan up and running. Obviously, people are chomping at the bit to see Boba Fett return. So I think it's going to time out well to, you know, when we do return. And, uh, you know, obviously, I would love to be a part of it again. Um, that uh, that it'll be spaced out well. And, and you know, they'll have all those those uh, release, all those uh, work out well for the re- releases on Disney+. Plus. It kind of seems like they're going to have those side shows, like the Soka show or something else, all air first and then like have it all kind of combine into like the final, you know, season three or whatever, if that makes sense. I don't know. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Like I said, I have, I have absolutely no firsthand information. I have no official, you know, again, I, I, <laughs> I didn't even know what character I was playing on the day that I was playing it. So I definitely don't have any information on when the show's coming back or, or what the timeline <laughs> is, but, but it does sound like they have a grand plan. I mean, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen and are probably more in the know than I am. You know, the spinoff shows are numerous. And if I had to guess, they're going to, they're going to take a page out of the Marvel book and really, um, and, and do their best to, to weave those stories together so that there's a ton of crossover and, and really give the fans, um, a lot, a lot of juicy nuggets. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. I know that I'm pretty sure they're filming the, the rogue squadron movie. I'm pretty sure that's, that's happening uh, in, in London, I believe right now. Um, again, just from what I, what I've seen on the net. So, uh, yeah, there, there will be no shortage of, of Star Wars media for years to come. My friends (laughs) get ready for it, which is a very, it's a very good problem to have. I say that, but you mentioned Boba Fett. Let's take a, let's, let's take a step back a little bit. Um, because he talked a little bit about Luke Skywalker, but we have two other big characters that got introduced that you got to be a part of the introduction. Can you tell us a bit about that? Like, how much did you know? What kind of efforts for secrecy? What did you kind of see with the Boba Fett and Ahsoka reveal? 
Yeah. So, um, again, very little until we actually got there. I knew that I had just from, you know, you, you hear rumblings, you know, when you're on the set, um, you know, obviously Dave Filoni's there and John Favreau is there and, you know, the guest directors and they're all talking and, you know, you hear what, you know, Oh, we got it. We got, we have to do this because of, you know, the next episode, you know, this, this and that. And so I knew that Ahsoka was coming. Um, I knew that Boba Fett was, was happening at some point. I did not know, um, many details about that. Um, and it's funny because as we'd already done the Ahsoka episode and, and I was jumping online and just looking at some stuff and it was, it was really fun to see all the speculation of who was playing Ahsoka and some people were like, Oh, I think Rosario Dawson's playing Ahsoka. And I was like, yeah. In my head, I'm thinking, yes, she is. Cause I just fought her today. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so with, with the Boba Fett stuff, I think it was a little bit more, um, it was definitely more, uh, there was a lot of secrecy surrounding that maybe because that had something to do with the spinoff. Um, but it was really cool seeing, you know, we, when I walked on, we, that was our only on location shoot. And it was interesting because we were, um, we we're obviously filming, um, in this, you know, in this, uh, Rocky peak area. And, you know, there were a lot of cyclists, a lot of hikers. And so we were, we had to constantly remain covered up. And, you know, they said, if anyone approaches you and asks, you know, we're filming, you know, a star, you know, we're filming, you know, a Star Wars commercial because, again, I, which I think is so important, you know, to keep to maintain that secrecy so that, you know, the, the word doesn't get out. But it was cool because we walked on set and there was Tamira, uh, Tamira Morrison was there. And it was great to see him. And, you know, that was a really that was a really fun, uh, you know, on the day surprise. Um and he was fantastic. I I was not so when we were there. I was actually a part of the Fennec uh, fight. So I got to fight with um, Ming Na Wen, and um, I was a part of that sequence. And then uh, the Boba Fett sequence was happening in another another location. But we our our base camp was all in the same area. So it was really great to see um, to see the cast and you know get to chat with them a little bit. But uh, yeah, again, just a lot of secrecy surrounding. You know, we when we were coming out of those those um shuttles and running out and you know firing at things um it was a lot of okay now you know now you're firing over here now you're firing now you get hit here and it wasn't really we weren't really getting a lot of the story points and and i'm fine with that you know again just you know uh, i you know point point me where you need me to go and tell me where you need me to fall and you know that's 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 the deal um but you know again the art the audience member in me kind of doesn't want to know that stuff you know and i i think that's the real challenge is, you know, when you work on a show like this, you know, there's only, there's only so much that you can not see. And it's funny because uh, one of my, one of my friends who was in the wardrobe or was in the costume department, we had finished up one day and he said, have you been over to, you know, stage 23? And I was like, no, he goes, you need to, you need to stop by there on your way out. And I said, Oh, okay. And so I went by the stage and I walked in and sure enough, there was, you know, Jabba's lair and I was blown away. Cause I, that, Oh, that's so cool. Again, like that. I didn't know that they were constructing that set. I had no idea. And so, and there's Bib Fortuna sitting on, you know, Jabba's throne. And I just, you know, internally just kind of lost, lost it. Um, so, you know, it, it's fun. It's you, you, you kind of some things you want to know and some things you don't. You know, like oh, I've seen too much, but you know, it's like you're 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 like this, like you know, looking through, <laughs> peering through your fingers, trying not to <laughs> see too much. But 
by the same token, like really, like I'm really glad I, I, you know, obviously it wasn't the original set, um, but to be, you know, on that set, you know, for lack of, of, of better terms, um, in its, in its present day incarnation was really cool. And to see Bib Fortuna, um, you know, on, on, on Jabba's, on Jabba's throne and, um, yeah, that, that was really neat. Well, that was more than just a close approximation, too. Like, that set looked spot on in the show. Like, it had to have felt like you were basically there in 1983. It's crazy. I mean, it looked so good. And, um, you know, there was the Rancor, you know, like the Rancor pit, you know, uh, uh, great was there. And, you know, I like the little key, like, like, it's funny, I knew. I knew, but I still looked. I was like, oh, I looked down to see if I could actually, you know, see 40 feet below if they had built, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me if they constructed the Rancor pit down there. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was really, really cool. So again, it's, it's, it's really neat to see that level of love and respect and reverence for the original, um, the original material and to see those. And, and again, that's, that's the part of me that loves, uh, you know, seeing those, those things come back to life because, um, you know, it's, 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 it's one thing to have, you know, the originals, uh, which are so, which have just, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they were, they were so impactful to us all, you know, in our youth and to see those again with now, you know, that sort of full circle journey of, you know, being a part of the film industry and seeing them come to life again in that way was really special. So, um, and I know that all the everyone feels that way, all the fans and you know and and audience members alike. So I'm wondering, uh, did you ever get a chance to uh, hold the child or come in contact with the child? Or... <laughs> I did, in fact. Yeah, he. he um, hey. So they. So I got to be one of the. Um, uh, oh, shame on me! The the Quarren. So for that quarantine scene, then you were kind of like the squid-looking guys. Yeah, so I was. I got to uh, work on that episode and be one of the quarantine on the ship uh, where they had little Grogu in his little pod, and so got to got to work a lot with the child. Um, and it's funny because he ha- he has uh, um, again. I think they show this in the behind the scenes uh, special uh, on Disney Plus. He has um, a number of versions. So you have the very articulate. Uh, radio controlled version which we all see on screen and then you sort of have the the stunt grogu he's like the photo the photo double and he's not as he's obviously has no articulation and he's not as um he's not as detailed uh and so i got to got to hold him one day and that was kind of cool um but yeah that's just again the the artists you know that that uh, the legacy effects crew they're just amazing uh men and women who make up make up that team um, I mean, you, you know, so we're doing the scene where the all the Mandalorians fly down and we're on the dock and we're approaching, Mandal- you know, um, uh, Mando and, you know, we're kind of having that dialogue back and forth. And then they pull out their guns and just, you know, totally take us out. So we're doing that doing that scene and watching, you know, I have I have my big quarren head on and, you know, I'm looking out through the eyes and I'm just fascinated by how articulate, um, you know, the little Grogu puppet is. I mean, if, if you didn't know any better, you would think this little guy's alive. It's amazing. He's so cool. And so that was a lot of fun to, to, to work with him as well. So, um, uh, and I, you know, I'd always come home at night and tell my wife, Caitlin, baby Yoda says, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Were you, uh, the mean guy who had to kick him into that little water pit or (laughs) no, 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 no. I, 
I got I got headbutted. Um, and, and you know, again, these we we shoot these fight scenes, and this is this happens, you know, in, in all television and film projects. You shoot a lot more than sometimes they end up using, and so um, I I was actually looking over to the side of the boat, and uh, um, I forget the name of the actual the character, but he 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 flies over me and lands behind me, and I turn around, and he headbutts me. Um, and, uh, so we, we had a little bit of a longer exchange there, but it got cut down, but that was really fun. Um, really great to work with Bryce Dallas Howard on that episode. She was awesome. Um, you know, again, all the guest directors were, were a real pleasure to work with very respectful of the stunt team. Um, really, really need to see all, all that stuff come together and how much, you know, they enjoyed, enjoyed that journey as well. So, um, when, yeah. When it comes to that, like, are the directors, directing you guys or is it more of the stunt coordinator that's like telling you guys what, what you guys want or what they want you to do? Sorry. Um, you know, it's every, it's everything. Um, you know, this, this series is no different from a- anything else. Uh, you know, the, you know, we would get, we would sometimes have rehearsals, sometimes not usually, um, on the day rehearsal, you know, we'd get to set and Ryan would kind of, you know, say, Hey, here's what we're going to be doing. You're going to be here. You're going to be here. Give us our positions, give us the action. Um, you know, and, and, uh, Latif, has you know he has it all dialed in as well because he he's you know done the rehearsals beforehand so he kind of shows us hey i'll be hitting you here and you'll be taking a blaster hit there and um but obviously in those little moments because you know even though we are members of the stunt team we're also characters and so you know we get that direction like i worked a lot with um uh you know actually you know worked a lot with with all the the directors but um it was really neat working with carl weathers that was that was a great experience um uh, Rick was great. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Shame on me. Rick Famuyiwa. Fami- Fami- um, he was awesome. We had, he, he was really, really kind and very, very cool um, to work with. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, really fun. So let's, let's get into more of kind of your thoughts on the season and the series in general. Like, what do you think was the real magic behind season two or maybe even the magic behind Mandalorian that's made it such a success? Well, you know, I've said this for years and I know a lot of other people feel the same way. You know, I don't think we got enough of Boba Fett the first time around. You know, I mean, he we got such a, a, a small taste of him in Empire um, he was killed off so quickly in Jedi. And, you know, I think there was, I think a lot of, a lot of fans and, you know, filmmakers that were affiliated with the universe felt that, you know, we didn't get enough of Boba Fett. And so it was really cool to explore. Um, you know, I think, I think that, that, that was primed to explore the whole Mandalorian race. Um, so I think it's a, you know, it's a great Great character. Um, I know that, um, it's challenging for uh, you know on, on a number of levels to try to bring out a character's emotions um, that's always in a helmet. But I thought they did a really good job with that. And so you know, again, they walked that line of of you know sort of intrigue and mystery um, you know around surrounding the Mandalorian race. Um, surrounding, you know, what's going on under the helmet and, you know, what the character's actually, you know, feeling and expressing. Um, but I thought they did a good job with that as well. Um, but I don't know. Again, it's, it's, I think it's just one of those very intriguing characters. I think there's a lot of depth to, again, the Mandalorian race and where, you know, where he comes from, where he's going. Obviously, that's a big question now is, you know, he's, you know, his little buddy Grogu is, is, 
not with him anymore. So where, what's, what's his purpose now other than to find a new ship, of course, um, now that his, <laughs> it's been destroyed, but, uh, yeah, I just think there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, exploration that could be done with the character and, um, with his journey. So, uh, maybe that's, maybe that's part of the magic. Maybe that's part of the success. Um, but again, I do like that they're little bite-sized nuggets and that the episodes don't drag out and they leave you wanting more. And so, um, I think that's always the way to go as a, as a storyteller from a filmmaking standpoint, you know, when, when people look at their watches, you've lost them, it's over. But if you leave them wanting more, um, I think that's the real key. And so I think that this show does that. And kind of to speak to your point you mentioned earlier, those bite-sized nuggets for the fans, but also in a way that's approachable. Like we were talking about the Ahsoka scene that you're a part of, and I think that was one of the biggest risks because she's not a as well-known of a character to those outside of the fandom. Like, did you know going in anything that much about Ahsoka as a character? Did you have any kind of background at all? I only knew from... And you'll have to correct me. She was part of the Clone Wars mm. uh, animated series, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I'd only I I was only familiar with her in the animated form, and I knew that she had two white lightsabers, and that was it. Um, I didn't know anything, you know, more than that. So, um, yeah, you know, to your point, it was it was a little bit of a risk, you know, introducing her, you know, having some of that crossover there. Um, you know, that opens the door for other crossover. Now it's like, Ooh, how many other characters are they going to, are they going to bring in from, you know, these other aspects of the star Wars universe. So, and I'm sure they're banking on that. I'm sure that that's, again, it gives them, gives that level of depth and that level of, you know, um, that many more options for where they could take this. And I think hopefully they explore the strongest ones because, you know, again, we kind of talked about this in our last chat. It's, of course, there's a part in all of us that would love to see, oh, you know, wouldn't it be cool if ellipsis? But you have to have that self-control. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, you know, there's a part of me that worries about the future of filmmaking, you know, with, with um, you know, the face replacement stuff, with the deep fake stuff, you know, because, you know, uh, part of the reason I fell in love with Luke Skywalker as a kid was because of Mark Hamill's performance, you know? If that could be replicated using, you know, a photo double and some really good deep fake, you know, again, that 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 eats into some of that value and some of that heart that goes into it. You know, I mean, part of me was hoping that they had invited Mark Hamill there that day and they were going to have him, you know, in the same way they did Jeff Bridges with Tron Legacy. I was so hoping that Mark was going to be there because no one's going to, you know recreate that character and give the performance level that he would. Um, and so there, again, for as much as I, for as much as I loved seeing the X-Wing approach and, you know, Mark, Oh, and by the way, I had no idea R2 was going to join him. So I freaked out just like everyone else <laughs> on the couch. My, you know, my Caitlin looks at me and she's like, what? And I was like, I didn't know R2 was going to be there. He wasn't there when we were there. So, um, you know, of course the little kid in me loves those moments, but again, it's, it's my concern is where that line is going to be held up or where it's going to be crossed. And so now that we have really, un, you know, unlimited power with regards to the technology and bringing these characters to life, you know, where, where does that, where does that stop? And where does the performance get lost just for the sake of, you know, seeing these characters back on screen, you know, maybe we shouldn't, you know, and again, that going back to my, how my, you know, how I opened the podcast is, 
you know, there's there there something gets lost when we pursue this art to, you know, to any end just to, to see these moments on screen. You know, and I think that's where you know, as an adult looking back now, of course, it was my favorite. You know, one of my favorites as a kid. But you know, when I look back at Jedi, my you know my the moments that really kind of bum me out and I get, I get really disappointed or where they, it's where they cross those lines, you know, just for the sake of a laugh, you know, Oh, let's have Chewbacca do the Tarzan yell that that'll get, that'll have, that'll have the audience in stitches, you know? And it's like, you just, you just completely ate into the character's integrity for the sake of a quick laugh, you know, and, and even Harrison Ford, um, you know, they turned him into, a, into, you know, a, they turned him in, they took him from this amazing, you know, badass bounty hunter that would shoot your ass under under a table you know to to get the drop on you and he had so many bumbling moments in in jedi he steps on a stick and you know alerts the stormtroopers and you know hey it's me and luke and leia roll their eyes and i'm like what so you know again it's i'm i'm going off on a rant so i'll bring it back to your question which is that yes those moments are really cool and they're fun to see but Again, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And I hope that moving forward that those boundaries are set and adhered to. Well, okay. So that rant actually brings right into a question I kind of wanted to talk about because uh, one of the moments from the show that tends to get a lot of uh, backlash from fans, and we'll go into more of what you mentioned with the deep fakes and Luke Skywalker, because I think that's an interesting topic to discuss. Um, but we, we always talk it on the show as more of like the Marvel syndrome of they're trying to be overly funny for the sake of the comedy to be overall kind of able to reach general audiences. And we notice online people had mixed thoughts about the, the baby Yoda eating eggs aspect too, saying, okay, maybe that's either just weird or, Hey, he's killing off little babies or it's that overreaching for comedy. Did that air? Did that part kind of? Did it work for you? Did it seem like a bit much? What'd you think of it? You know, again, and we kind of touched on this in our last conversation. You know, the Mandalorian, I think, has reached a wider audience. I'm guessing here that it's reached a wider audience than I think even they intended. You know, I mean, two-year-olds watching, you know, wearing diapers and Baby Yoda T-shirts. You know. Uh, I mean, it was a really, it was, it was a phenomenon. Um, so do I know how much of that played into the writing or the direction they took that character in? That's certainly, you know, that's, I, I'm not aware of, I don't have that kind of, you know, firsthand knowledge. Um, you know, it, it's something about, and again, that we, we, this is why some of the, um, you know, the last three films, you know, some of the, some of the moments that didn't work for me, I mean, I, is it something in the Star Wars contract that they have to have some sort of slimy, tentacly character in every single <laughs> movie that they do? Like, like in Solo, when they're trying to escape the, you know, the the Maw, and they had that, you know, giant hectopus, you know, thing going after them with the tentacles, and you know, it's and 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 in, um, you know, I also it's funny because having watched having watched Solo, it it it. Um, it inspired me to go back and watch Rogue One again because Rogue One is among my favorites. And I was like, now, mm. did I really enjoy Rogue One as much as I think? And I have to say, I really enjoyed it the second time around as well. I thought it was 
I've, I'd forgotten a lot of moments and I, it was a very powerful and they had some dark moments, which I loved. But again, they had this, you know, tentacly thing that reads your mind. And it was like, what is the deal with these tentacly creatures? So, <laughs> um, you know, as far as far as Grogu eating the eggs, you know, as an audience member, you know, he did seem to be, you know, that was kind of his shtick, right? He was he was always hungry. Um you know, the egg thing, I, I don't know. I, I don't know really know one way or the other. Um, you know, again, I'm not very knowledgeable about the books. Uh, you know, is I know a lot went into, you know, that 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 episode um, far more than I even knew about. I guess that was based off a, a pretty specific um, scene or, or number of scenes from the books. But, um, you know, I mean, in the first season when they punched Baby Yoda in the bag, you know, things like that. And, you know, again, it's... It's you never know. It's easy to it's hindsight's always 2020. It's easy to look back and say, oh, maybe that wasn't the strongest choice, or maybe we could have taken this in a different direction. Um, again, that is the challenge of trying to satisfy an audience whose range is literally from two to 80. You know, yeah. I mean, it's you know, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna please everyone. You know, maybe those comedic elements are are for the kids to lighten things up, you know. Um one of my favorite anime is Full Metal Alchemist, and yes. Um, yes. they do such a great, yeah, right. I mean, they do such a great job with that show. I mean, both, in fact, both both uh, versions, um, both the standard and um, Brotherhood, um, both versions of the manga, uh, you know, or whichever you know avenue they, they 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 chose to pursue. There were so many dark moments, and I think the pacing and the timing of that show, uh, you know, as far as a series, you know, as far as a episodic arc is concerned was so brilliant and you know they they inserted those lighter moments when things were getting really heavy and you know they they took the audience into consideration in that regard and said you know what we we've, we've really beat the audience up a little bit let's give them a ray of hope let's give them a ray of of you know some levity and you know maybe those choices and and those decisions were made when it came to baby yoda i mean obviously he was you know for lack of a better you know phrase sort of the, the comedic relief and you know in many ways that was what c-3po and r2d2 were in the first you know in in episode in episode four you know they they were there to convey um some story points and obviously to insert some levity and so who knows i mean i you know i i'm certainly not one to say one way or the other um but i mean i i liked grogu as much as everyone else um i did get a little bit tired of them eating stuff but <laughs> um but, but you're you know, absolutely it's, right it's, it's a yeah. shtick right it at least they were consistent right yeah and i mean you're totally right too with the general audience because we all know someone who watched that show just because they thought grogu was adorable like a lot of people got their significant other to watch star wars because it was a cute little green baby um and you have if you have that money maker on camera you're gonna play it up as best as you can yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, you know, he's he's he has his little, they, you know, like I said, at least they were consistent with his attributes. You know, it was he was always eating or drinking something. It's funny. I think um, if you ever saw the film uh, Ocean's Ocean's Eleven, mm. uh, Brad Pitt, that yeah. was that was one of Brad Pitt's character traits. He said, you know, I want Rusty to always be eating something. <laughs> and if you go back and watch, he literally is eating something in every scene. It's it's hilarious, but you don't really catch it. It's one again. It's one of those. That is where that's why I feel like, you know, especially, you know, characters that have done more than one um, more than one 
uh, either you know episode or 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 film who have portrayed these characters in multiple versions because they know the characters inside and out. Um, and I, I feel that they should be um, included in some of the creative decisions because, you know, something like that is just brilliant. You know, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, writers are incredibly, um, incredibly talented and creative, but, you know, you know, when the actors get into their performance mode and they're, they're thinking about the motivations and the backstories of these characters, a lot of these little nuances come out and, and really, you know, pop off the page and come to life. So it's stuff like that. That's really fun. That, that goes unnoticed unless you're told about it. And then once you know, it's, it's just that much more fun, but it doesn't detract from the performance, you know, before, beforehand, which is really great. So, um, you know, again, that, I guess that was, that was Grogu's thing. He, He's always hungry. He's a baby. I mean, his metabolism was screaming. What do you want from the yeah, guy? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you mentioned random tentacles, and then you bring up anime. Talk about random tentacles right there. But no. <laughs> going back to the Luke Skywalker thing here, um, I think you, you were kind of talking about it, and let me know if you feel the same way. It seems like fans had two faces. First is the oh my gosh moment of, it's Luke Skywalker, that inner eight-year-old freaking out excitement, followed by the moment of what are the implications of this, both story-wise and the art of filmmaking-wise. So between, okay, what's going to happen to the series and Grogu now that he's with Luke, and what's going to happen with filmmaking of old, iconic actors and characters with this deepfake technology? Um, so both story wise and more of that deep fake wise, what are your thoughts on the scene? Did you have that same kind of from, oh my gosh, to recollection kind of process? Yeah, totally. I mean, I struggled with that, you know, years ago, there was a Volkswagen commercial that, um, they reenacted the singing in the rain, uh, scene with Gene Kelly. And I forget the I forget the the dancer's name. He's a, a incredible break dancer and and uh, incredible dancer in general and lock and pop. Um, and they they basically put Gene Kelly's and this is way before deepfake. I mean, this is back. I mean, I don't even want to know what the budget was on this commercial because to pull that off at the time that they did, the technology was not that advanced. Um, but they made it work, and and so they do the singing in the rain bit, and he jumps off the the light pole. And it's this it's this dancer with Gene Kelly's face on, and he's break dancing and locking and popping. And I I remember because Singing in the Rain is my favorite musical of all time. And you know I'm I'm not I mean I'm older now, but I'm not this old crotchety guy on his porch telling kids to get off his lawn. But I remember thinking that's sacrilege, man. <laughs> I mean that's you don't mess with Gene Kelly like that is that is perfection. And the fact that it was done for the sake of marketing. It it really rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, it was cool. Again, it was amazing and and a brilliant team of artists and uh, you know on both sides of the camera. But just because we can doesn't mean we should. So, you know, it's a fine line. It's again, it's art and it's multi generational. And um, there's a part of me that thinks, well, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be allowed to extend the timelines of these artists beyond what is humanly possible but the flip side of that coin is well does that mean that you know my nephews and nieces and their kids don't get to enjoy luke skywalker the way i did you know because let's face it um you know trying to get young kids to watch the originals they're just too slow in pacing even though 
we know as adults that the pacing is absolutely flawless. Um, but they're just, you know, it's just kids are, you know, the younger generation are under heavy visual bombardment on a daily basis. So to go back and watch the originals, to ask them to do that, um, it's not going to have the same impact. So, you know, again, that's where we have to ask ourselves, where, where does it, where does the line get drawn? And, you know, should we can, you know, on one side, yes, Mark Hamill portrayed this character and he is Luke Skywalker, but by the same token, why shouldn't the character live on in visual media as well? You know, that, that, that same argument can be made. So again, I just feel that it needs to be done with some reverence and, um, it, it, it's tough. I, I don't know because I, 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 I could see pros and cons for both argument. Um, you know, and, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's, it, it'll be an ongoing debate long after we've discussed it. That's for sure. And I mean, we started the podcast talking about solo. It seems like they draw the line if it's a main character for a feature film. Like they have Alden doing more of Han Solo versus having Harrison Ford there kind of Tron style, like digitized. So it seems like they're more willing if it's a spurt, but they realize if it's a long film, you're going to get into that uncanny valley a bit. So there's, it's also the what duration can the audience handle before it becomes cheesy too. Well, and I think that's what worked with Solo is that or any or any film or, or television series that deals with a character in their origins, because obviously, um, you know, it's a we don't mind seeing a younger, younger actor portray them because we all look different. when We were younger, um, although I personally was very disappointed that they didn't have um, Jeff Bridges uh, actually just I mean, he did the motion capture for his younger character. But I just thought they should have had him. I would have, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio did a film many years ago in the 90s called Man in the Iron Mask, where he he played. Yes. Um, yeah, he play, played uh, uh, King Louis, the king of France. And Leonardo DiCaprio made a brilliant decision to not attempt a French accent because in his wisdom as an actor and also knowing his own limitations, he said, my poor attempt at a French accent will completely detract from all the acting that I am trying to do and all the character portrayal that I'm trying to do. I think the audience will forgive me for not attempting that and just trying to be the best character that I could be. And I, I fully supported that decision because he was great in that role and, and both, you know, he played obviously twins and he was great in both of those, both of those roles. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, if if you haven't seen a film from 1994 by now, I, there's nothing I can do for you. Um, but so so I think that people are more forgiving of a younger actor portraying a character at an earlier time in their life. Um, so it kind of worked. You know, there was a great film, uh, another uh, uh, one of my favorite films called The Age of Adeline. Um, uh, and they had Harrison Ford was in that film and they had some flashback sequences and they had a younger actor portray Harrison Ford. And this guy was flawless. He looked like him. He sounded like him. And I remember, I remember hearing whispers that they were going to do a solo. And I, and I just thought to myself, I hope they cast this guy because he is young. I mean, he is young Harrison Ford. Um, obviously Alden was fantastic and he, and he, you know, he brought his own, um, you know, he brought his own, uh, magic and talent to that, that role. But, you know, again, that's, that's the real challenge too. You know, it's, you know, I remember when Richard Harris passed, who was, you know, portraying Dumbledore in the, in the Harry Potter series. And 
Um, obviously, he was replaced, and with um, oh gosh, shame on me! Uh, such a brilliant actor. Um, uh, Shoot, I'm blanking on this one to too. Yeah. Um, oh goodness, uh, I'm pulling it up because I, I have to. I have to do him. <laughs> it's honor. like holding in a sneeze right uh, now. My, if you my, don't know it. Yeah. Right. Michael Gambon, who's mm. absolutely he's absolutely brilliant. I mean, everything the man does, he he's a master thespian, right? So, poor guy, he steps into this this role, which Richard Harris did perfectly, and he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Because they're going to say, oh, well, he was just rich, just trying to be Richard Harris. If he brings his all, you know, if he brings his own personality and individuality to the role, it's oh, he's no Richard Harris, you know, right? So you can't win. So, um, you know, again, that is that's the challenge with these, with this art living on across these, you know, multi-generations is that the characters live on, but we as humans obviously have our mortal limitations. So, um, you know, there's, that's always going to be a part of it. But, uh, you know, again, I think that people are more forgiving when it's, when it's a completely different version. Um, you know, I was really, I, I was very skeptical when they announced, you know, Mary Poppins returns because Mm. I just thought, you know, you do not, you do not touch the original Mary Poppins. And, you know, I worked with Rob Marshall on, on Pirates 4, and I he's one of my favorite directors of all time to work with. And I am so thankful that he is the person that that was at the helm of that project because it was it was handled so beautifully with so much love and respect and reverence. And what was cool is when you saw Emily Blunt for the first time, it took you a few moments to get used to it. But then you just accepted Mary Poppins as this sort of timeless character. And I love that it wasn't a reboot. It was a continuation. And I don't don't even want to call it a sequel. I I hesitate to to even label it as a sequel. I feel it was a continuation of the story. The children had grown up. uh, There were new characters. But the Mary Poppins character was this constant. And, you know, she's this sort of timeless character. And I thought that that every studio should take a page out of that book if you're going to approach content you know whether it be for a series or for a feature you need to watch this film and you know and 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 handle it the exact same way because it was done it was done perfectly and i i i wept at several points throughout that film and i did not think i would it was it was it was so beautifully done and it's a little tougher, too, because with Mandalorian, you're dealing with the issue of an actor who is still alive in Mark Hamill being reproduced as a younger at, as a younger version of himself that we've already seen in film. Uh, but then you have the issue of what about actors that are now deceased? I, I think of I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan and they're bringing that Amazon Lord of the Rings show. You have Christopher Lee, who's passed away. Who are we going to have then as Saruman? Are we going to have like a... But what I prefer, a new actor, a deep fake, or never seeing the character again. It's a tough kind of question. Yeah, it's again, you know, you know, and seeing, you know, Peter Cushing, uh, you know, alive and well again on screen in Rogue One, you know, that was, that was, it was, again, it was cool in the moment. And then after the fact, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, <laughs> that was kind of freaky. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, again, these, these, these characters, you know, they, that, they have more story to tell. They have more adventures. And where do you, you know, where do you, where do you allow that to take place or where do you, you know, bring that to, to an end? So, you know, again, it's, it's an ongoing challenge, but um, you know, look, we're, I don't, I don't think any amount of fandom or online backlash is going to stop, you know, the studios from doing what they feel will, um, 
you know, will serve the business aspect of the art. And I mean, unless there's such a, you know, unless a, a, a movie completely flops and the, and the reason, you know, the, the, the sole reason for doing so was that people were so up in arms that they recreated these characters in CG. So, um, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's, it'll be interesting. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, Amazon uh, series should be, should be interesting. I, I, I know very little about it, but I kind of, I kind of heard some some rumblings, but um, oh, so the reason, the whole reason I brought up the Mary Poppins thing is because you know, kudos, uh, you know, to um, uh, oh gosh, my my brain is going a thousand miles an hour today. Uh, Julie Andrews, you know, she they they asked her to do a cameo in that film, and she said, you know what, I had my time, I, I'm going to pass because any any involvement I have is going to take away from Emily Blunt's performance. I'm just going to be a distraction and I don't want to do that. And she had the class and the respect to say, you know what, this is not, it's not, it's not my film. It's Emily. You know, I've passed the baton to Emily and it's her thing. And I think that's really cool. So who knows? They probably did approach Mark and maybe he had just had enough, you know, maybe he was kind of spent from the the films as well. Um, because there's no reason why he couldn't have been there, you know, and, and just and and been and been the actor, you know, the 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 photo double for you know for himself, basically. Um, maybe they did extend him that courtesy. I don't know, but and I, and I have a feeling that Mark, being the class act that he is, probably respectfully declined. Um, I think I think he's had his his time and is now happy to sit back and and be an audience member. I don't know if I'm probably wrong about this, but didn't he do the voice of it or he? Did you do know, the voice that I, I don't know. Um did he or did they recreate it from I believe from, he... I wasn't sure if they cut it together. Jeez, we're we're off our game here and we were relying on Google too much. I believe that he did the voice I... here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I am pretty sure he did because he okay. tweeted out about how like he um tried to recreate his like last Jedi or sorry, um his uh, Return of the Jedi voice for That's the, awesome. The if that, I love that. If that's he, the case, he know? did in fact voice the de-aged Luke. So Mark Hamill, you, they can't make the case that he wasn't involved. That didn't they? They didn't extend the courtesy of him playing his character. He could at least voice act for him. That is awesome, and I love that. I mean, it, look, it sounded it sounded great. So it doesn't surprise me that it was Mark. And you know what? He's again, he's what a class act that guy is. Good, good for him, and good for them for for having that ongoing relationship. You know, that's that's really really cool. I mean, and again, that's that's awesome because there will come a day where, you know, they have such a vast library of audio that, you know, they may or may not reach out to the original performers and get their and get their input on it. But um, he he's the one and only he's the one and only man for that job. We discussed a lot of the more implication to the art form of the film. Let's get into the implication of that scene for the show. So we have Baby Yoda, Grogu is going off with Luke. We had that initial excitement followed by the realization of what the hell's going to happen with Baby Yoda now. Is he dying with Kylo Ren? Is he not coming on the show again? What, what are your thoughts on, on kind of that storyline move? Well, you know, I think it's I think it's smart in that absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think it would be wise if we didn't see Baby Yoda for a while. Um, 
you know, something's going to have to take his place, uh, maybe for the younger audience, but I'm sure they've got that figured out. But, um, you know, who knows, maybe we'll see him the next time we see him, he'll be several years older and, or, or, in, or in the race's case, several hundred years older, <laughs> as we know, Yoda was, was close to 900 when he passed. So, um, it'll be interesting to see adolescent <laughs> Grogu. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, I'm sure they have something planned that will that will be a great reveal, and um, you know, or or who or not, maybe we'll see his journey with Luke, uh, you know, and get to see him whether you know it's his training or it's it's uh, you know that aspect of the of the storyline. Um, I don't know. I I I, I hope you know if, if John Favreau is involved, I'm sure that that um, good decisions will be made, and um, you know, again, I think it's uh, I think it's important to really serve the story for what is going to be best for the story and the characters, not necessarily what we would like to see on screen or what, you know, um, you know, what the studio heads want. So we'll see. I mean, it, you know, right now there's, it's it really is a blank canvas in regards to the possibilities and where they could take all of these spinoff shows. Um, you know, they, they have no shortage of content and material to pull from. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Grogu pops up next and in what form. Okay, so a um, couple things. One, I want to know, season one or season two? What are your thoughts? Which one do you like more? Um, you know, I think season, you know, again, it's kind of like, it's like the A New Hope and Empire question. You know, I feel like season one had that simplicity in, it, in its essence, and it was really pure. Um, but I liked a lot of the moments of season two. Uh, and again, I can disconnect myself from from seeing myself on screen you know when i'm involved in the project i i can disconnect from that and not and, and not be biased like believe me i've done plenty of stinkers that i thought i did some of my best work as a stunt performer but i, I it, the film is unwatchable <laughs> I, I like deter people from watching it <laughs> um so i can definitely make that you know disconnect and, and that distinction so um you know i enjoyed i enjoyed both, you know, I, I, I view them kind of the same way I do the pirates films. Um, you know, I think if you took, I think if you, I mean, pirates one was a masterpiece. I think pirates two and three, they each had a lot of things that got right and things that they got wrong. I think if you take the best elements of pirates two and three and make one film, you would have the greatest sequel to pirates one of all time. So, um, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, there were, there, there were, really highs high highs in the first season and um you know maybe not so so high moments but uh you know across the board watch watchability it's tough they had they had some great moments you know and so again kudos to those guys for 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 writing those sequences and for creating those sequences visually you know across the board but um that's tough i don't know i'd have to think about that one i'll get back to you <laughs> all right sounds good I, I definitely think I'm more of a season two guy just because of the extra characters that came in. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So I don't know this. I probably probably isn't like a good answer to this question, but um, I, we probably already know, but was there, when they blew up the ship, was that all CGI or was there like a back lot where they like had space where they got to blow up um, Mando's ship and whatnot? Uh, well, I'm answering only because I don't know when I was there, on the day, there was no ship. Um, when we landed as the stormtroopers, we were literally in like these cargo containers that had the ramp, and they 
the rest of it was was CG. Um, I they might have done they might have destroyed a miniature um, because I know if you watch the I know if you watch the, they did a whole segment on how they recreated uh, what's the name of Mando's ship I'm blanking right now uh, the Razor uh, Crest uh, the Razor Crest yeah I almost said Razor Back and I'm like that's not that's not right <laughs> um, Arkansas eh, I'm actually only doing this so that you don't think I'm a super ultra you know star wars fan i'm i'm i'm, I'm, I'm asking oh yeah what's the name of that character yeah i don't yeah, know yeah. what i don't know what planet the corner from you guys i promise um yeah so when they destroyed the razor crest, so when they when they when they built the razor crest for season one i they they did i mean so much time money and energy went into to creating this miniature because they wanted to shoot it uh in the same practically in the same way they did for the for the original films and it was so effective i mean and it was a perfect blend of of practical and CG. And so I honestly don't know if they, if they blew up a miniature or if that was all CGI, but mm -hmm. I know on the days that I worked, there was no razor crest there. Mm -hmm. I have seen on set that there is a razor crest, um, but it's not necessarily in its entirety. I know that there's a the section of it that's practical and there's a section of it that's CG. And again, you can see that on Disney plus um, that they, they, they did do a whole segment on that. So, um, but yeah, as far as that's concerned, I don't know. But that would be cool either. I mean, it would be awesome to be there if they, if it was practical to see that, that, that bad be, boy blow up. That'd be super cool. All right. Last question for me. Um, when are we going to see you uh, do some stunts in Marvel and uh, so we could talk about some Marvel stuff? You know, guys, <laughs> there are parts of the industry you don't want to know about. Um, it, there's a lot of politics in this game, as there are with any industry, right? And, uh, you know, um, I'm not really in the Marvel circle. It's funny because I actually, I was one of Colin Farrell's stunt doubles for the Daredevil film, um, which, you know, was what it was. Hey, you know, <laughs> we, we got, cut it a little bit. Of, <laughs> cut, cut it a little bit of slack for when it came out. Um so, and I, you know, I was on age, I did a couple episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but yeah, I'm not really in the feature Marvel realm. And the main reason I think I'd like to hope is uh, geographically because they shoot those, the, uh, the, um, primarily they shoot those in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm, mm -hmm. I live in Los Angeles, California. So I'm not there. Um, but, I don't think I'm on the radar of the people that run those shows. Um, so I don't know that I would work on them anyway, but uh, you know, it's, I don't know. It's um, I don't know from a performer standpoint, I don't know that I, you don't want to be in a superhero costume. Well, no, I've, I've, I've been in plenty of superhero costumes. I mean, I, I did Wolverine for the opening of FAO Schwartz. <laughs> One time that that's I, awesome. I, I did a I did a grand opening of an FAO Schwartz toy store, and I was in the Wolverine cartoony, like uh, you know, comic book version of Wolverine, the, the yellow, yellow and the, blue. Oh yeah, the yellow and the blue and the black, like nothing from the Hugh Jackman uh, incarnation. Um, so I, I've definitely had some some fun in in the superhero costumes, but you know those. Um, yeah, it's 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 a different uh, it's a different group of people that do those shows, and I don't think I'm on their radar, which is fine. You know, I I remember coming up the stunt ranks. I wanted to work for every stunt coordinator. I wanted to get everyone's name on my resume, and I wanted to work with this person and that person. And 
you know, the older I got and the more experience I got, I realized that just by having this guy or this girl's name on my resume, I will never work for those three people because they don't get along. So just by, I was guilty by association. And so that's, again, that's, that's the, the underbelly of this industry. There's a lot of politics. There are a lot of cliques. There are a lot of stunt groups. Um, if you work for this stunt group, you'll never work for that stunt group. If you're in that group, you're, you know, and again, it's not necessarily that it's rivalry. It's just this weird industry. I don't know. It's this possessive nature of, well, this is our thing. I mean, um, well, I heard you the know, key is you have to that. put that you look like Chris Hemsworth right away on your resume and make that very clear. <laughs> Which I do not. Um, but you know what? Hey, it's it's fine. You know, I I've had a great I've had a great run, and I've got to do a lot of of a lot of I've been a, I've been a part of a lot of fun sequences, both physically and visually. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I still have a, a few left in me. Um, but again, at this, at this stage of the game, I just want to be involved with projects that I care about, you know, um, I've done, I've done enough stinkers in my life and I've had those paycheck jobs and look, the paychecks are, are good and we all need them. Um, but it, it's nice to be involved with projects that you care about because you, you really pour your heart. I mean, I give 110% every time, but there's something inside that comes alive when you're a part of a project that you care about, you know, whether, you're, whether you're a stunt performer, whether you're an actor, whether you're a visual effects artist, whether you're, you know, any, any realm of the industry, you know, those, 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 those projects are really special. And especially with one like the Mandalorian where, I mean, suiting up into that stormtrooper, you got to have that inner eight year old kid just come out of your system like crazy. Like it's, Fulfilling a ch- it's got to be fulfilling as childhood dream and really satisfying that urge to do something you care about. Well, I actually went back and watched um, watched A New Hope, mm. and I, I I intentionally before before I did the show, and I intentionally tried to recreate a number of those reactions from the stormtroopers, the performers that 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 gave those reactions in that film. And I hope I did them justice because, you know, those guys are, are nameless stunt performers. You know, those, they were, they were a a team of British stunt performers. And, you know, I, I, to my knowledge, they've never tooted their own horn. I mean, I couldn't name a single, I mean, I could name members of the stunt team, but I couldn't tell you who did what, like, oh yeah, so-and-so was the guy that fell into, you know, that when Luke, before he and Leia, you know, swung across the, 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 you know, the, the bridge, you know, he was the guy that took that reaction and fell or did the high fall. So I tried to recreate, it's funny, one of the sequences when we were fighting Fennec, I, um, I was up on the cliff and Fennec, you know, does all these cool moves. And then she looks up and shoots me and I did a high fall and they had to cut out of it for the story sake Cause they had to cut to her next shot. But I was so bummed because I fell like into this tree and, you know, went, went into these tree branches and into, into boxes. And I specifically tried to model that fall after one of the falls from a new hope. And I was like, Oh, they cut out of it too soon. <laughs> but anyway, so um, no, yeah, it was always cool to put on any, I mean, to put on any of those costumes, it was cool because we got to use the shore trooper costumes from rogue one. Um, and that was cool just to know that those had been worn before in rogue one. So that was kind of neat. Um, and again, yeah. And anytime we suited up was always, was always a fun time and, and, and very cool and unique. 
Well, see, when you mentioned that you tried to reenact like the stormtroopers in A New Hope, I just imagine that you're hitting your head onto every sliding door, just bonking that all the time, <laughs> and that John Favreau's <laughs> editing this, shots. being like, "What the hell is with this guy?" <laughs> but Chris, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us the inside scoop you couldn't give us last time. It was so great catching up with you and hearing some more about the Mandalorian. Oh, thank you guys. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. I really appreciate it. It's, it's such a fun time. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm always happy to be back on the show and we can talk about other stuff. But uh, yeah, for now, like I said, I, you know, who knows what the future holds. We'll see how, how Mando season three goes. I'd love to have more stories for you. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got some creative stuff in the works as well. So hopefully we can talk about that next time. And, uh, and it's still in the early stages, but uh, I'll definitely keep you guys posted. You guys are fantastic. Yeah, yeah is, there, is there anything that you want to shout out really quick before we sign off? I can't right now. It's all it's all still kind of under wraps, but um, yeah, some some fun collaborations happening. Um, so cool, cool. I, I will I will I will let you know as soon as I can. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've loved I've loved the shows. It was so great to hear Jennifer uh, Jennifer's podcast, Jennifer Badger. She was so awesome and great to yeah. get her her insight. I loved John's. Uh, I loved hearing all of John San Giovanni's stuff. I I mean I had. You know, obviously today Disneyland opened today for the first time in 400 plus days, and I can imagine Galaxy's Edge was was a madhouse. So um, uh, it was great to hear all the inside the inside scoop surrounding all that and the technology behind that stuff. So, yeah, you guys keep up the great work. I mean, it's it's really it's really something cool, and and you know it gives it gives a it definitely um, fulfills a need in in these in these crazy times where uh, where good content is uh, is definitely. Uh, something that is is food for the soul so thank you guys for what you do yeah thanks thanks so much for joining us here like usual you can get in touch with us at pod wars podcast on twitter or ask pod wars podcast on gmail and we would always appreciate a five-star review throw in there a little comment about your favorite moment from the mandalorian and on that note everyone have an awesome week